Hi, I'm Josh, and welcome to the Wild Nature Photography Podcast, the podcast that talks the art and craft of nature photography. It's the 28th of February, 2022, and this is podcast number 39. On this podcast, I'm going to do a wrap-up from the Finland Winter Workshop that I just finished a few days ago. I'm now actually in Helsinki. I flew from uh, Kusamo to Helsinki late yesterday evening, uh, and I had to overnight here in Helsinki for one night before my connecting flights home. Just the way it goes at the moment with a lot of the flights around the world, uh, very few flights seem to be lining up nicely at the moment. Even just to get to Helsinki from Iceland, I, uh, there was no direct flight actually to fly in via Copenhagen. Uh, so uh, Reykjavik to Copenhagen to Helsinki. Normally, before COVID, you could fly Iceland direct to Helsinki, which was a lot more convenient. But anyway, beside the point, just interesting that at the moment, flights are still not lining up properly because of the pandemic. So I have to overnight here last night here in Helsinki. And once I finish this podcast, I'm going to head over to the airport and, and start the check-in procedures for heading uh, back to Australia. And I'll come, actually, let's just finish up on that before I get to wrapping up the Finland workshop. So one of the things, I've talked about this before in several other podcasts, but I find it very interesting that in Iceland, for example, the cost of a COVID test for a rapid antigen test that's medically supervised is zero. So you can book in online, you can go and get your rapid antigen test uh, for moving to whatever country you're moving to, and you don't have to pay for it. Here in Finland, unfortunately, that is not the case. And it's 300 euros for the COVID test here. Now, 300 euros is around about 550, nearly 600 Australian dollars. So it's a very significant amount. I'm not quite sure why or how they can justify charging that much for a COVID test here. It is a captured market. There's absolutely nothing I can do about it. I mean, I have to I have to have a COVID test before they'll let me board the plane. So anyway, I've done that. I'm not happy about having to have, having paid 300 euros yet again for another COVID test, but it is what it is. Uh, I just hope that more and more countries are going to continue to abandon this requirement for entry testing uh, going forward. I, I'm starting to see this uh, from other countries. I know the UK has abandoned it. Uh, I think Australia will be quite slow to abandon it. So I'm probably going to be forced to live with it for a little while, but that's just how it goes. There's not much I can I can do about that. Unfortunately, it's it's par for the course. I am fortunate to be to be travelling and photographing, and it's definitely a first world problem to have to uh, deal with COVID testing at the moment. So anyway, let's put that aside. I don't really want to rant too much more about COVID testings. Um, I've done a lot of it already. I want to wrap up the Finland workshop. So the Finland workshop was a winter wildlife workshop, or was dedicated, I should say, to winter wildlife. Um, in the northern area of Finland. We started the workshop uh, not far from the small town of Kumo in the north of Finland. This is an area I've talked about before where there are a number of hides located in no man's land, the demilitarized zone between Finland and Russia. And these hides are specifically situated for wildlife photography and they are fantastic. They provide absolutely wonderful opportunities for the wildlife and that's where we based ourselves for the first five days. Originally I was only allowing for three days here for this workshop but because I was able to get all the participants to come in a couple of days early, I included as a bit of a bonus two extra days at the beginning. Um, so we had more time in the hides for photography. Now, we did have a wonderful encounter with a wild wolverine while we we're in these hides, which was just superb. The wolverine came in uh, in the late afternoon and we were able to make some really nice photographs of, photographs of it in the snow. Uh, the conditions in Finland this year for wildlife photography were superb. We had at least a metre of snow on the ground uh, in the, both the locations we photographed. And we also had a lot of days with heavy snowfall and blowing snow, so absolutely superb conditions for photography and really the sort of thing that I live for when it comes to, uh, to doing wildlife and landscape. 
the we did get skunked on wolves unfortunately we didn't see any wolves despite the fact that we did five and a half days in the hide that was a little bit disappointing i'm not quite sure why that was this year i did see a lot of tracks from the wolves so i think potentially they were coming past the hides at night in the dark we were in the hides every morning from around about uh, 7 a.m till usually 5 p.m so pretty full day in the hide so a lot of time spent waiting around for action to happen where we did have the wolverine we also had some golden eagles and some white-tailed eagles uh, in this particular location which was also fantastic but we did certainly put in a huge effort in terms of investment of time in the hides and certainly a lot of photographs of the wolverine which was absolutely fantastic i made quite a number of shots of it which i'm very pleased with uh, of the wolverine in the environment uh, which was something I was trying to do. I shot almost exclusively with the Canon R3 and the 400mm 2.8 RF with a 1.4 teleconverter, and that worked extremely well for me. I'm really feeling now that having shot with that camera in both Iceland and Finland that I'm getting quite familiar with it now and I feel a lot more comfortable with it. And I'll talk more, more about the, the R3 now. I've had a chance to use it in Finland once I just finish wrapping up um, up the trip. I'll have a full report on this trip, a written report up on my blog probably in the next 10 days or so once I get back to Australia. Just a matter of time to, to catch up on that, as well as the Arctic Fox report as well. Uh, what, where are we at? Okay, so once I finished up in... Um we finished up in Kumo. We headed over to the town of Kusumo, which is about a four and a half hour drive, uh, where we based ourselves for the remainder of the workshop. And from there, we were traveling into the Alunka National Park to photograph Golden Eagle uh, at a dedicated hide. And there are also many other of the uh, winter birds here at the moment. So there is the green woodpecker, the great spotted woodpecker, black woodpecker, Siberian jays, Great tits, crested tits, uh, fantastic birds up here, beautiful colours. So there was a lot of photography that was done of these uh, of these birds, including the golden eagle. Uh, the golden eagle in the blowing snow was absolutely fantastic. I thought that was probably our best day with the eagle, uh, which was actually our last day in the hide. So that was fantastic. And then to wrap up the last day, we photographed dippers. Uh, those of you who don't know what dippers are, they're a very small bird that lives on the uh, on the lakes and streams here in Finland. And they make wonderful photographic subjects as well. So it was a fantastic workshop, fantastic conditions this year. I was a little bit disappointed we didn't get wolves. It would have been really fantastic to have them in the, in the snow conditions that we had this year. Hopefully um, we will see them in October when I'm back. I look forward to that very much. October has been a fantastic time for the wolves uh, historically. I had really, really good luck with them here last year on my uh, wolf workshop. And again, I hope we'll have that uh, later this year as, as well in October. So I think that's it for for Finland now. Um, oh, one thing that did happen for me on on the the day after I finished the Finland workshop, I got a tip from my ground operator here in Finland that there'd been a great grey owl sighted about two hundred kilometres south of where I was staying. Now I had planned on my last day just to sort of hang out and relax and and sort of unwind but the opportunity to potentially see this hour was too much of a draw card for me so uh, we left at 6 45 in the morning the following day drove the 200 kilometers south uh, to look for this owl now some of you might know this story but for those of you who don't i have spent around two weeks uh in the uk in the us rather in um 
both Yellowstone and the Grand Tetons looking for great grey owl. It's a, it's a bird I've always wanted to see and photograph, but uh, I've never had any luck with it. I've done countless workshops to Finland for wildlife, never been able to find this owl. So the draw card for me was to just to try and find it. So we drove the 200 kilometres south and once we got to the location where the owl had been found, we started looking with our binoculars and we were very fortunate to, to find it within about 15 to 20 minutes. It was just sitting very low down in a fir tree, uh, looking out over a farmer's snow-covered field, uh, enjoying the morning sunshine. It was a completely blue sky day, uh, and the hour was very, very comfortable. Obviously, there's not a lot of sunshine um, here in Finland in winter, so the hour was very, very clearly enjoying a little bit of warmth. And uh, I made some record shots of the hour sitting in the tree. I, we actually spent the entire day from roughly 9 o'clock in the morning until well after dark, probably close to 6 p.m., sitting in the snow waiting for this owl to hopefully come out of the tree. Unfortunately, it never did. And where it was perched, I wasn't able to make anything more than a record shot. It had a, a very messy background behind it. But that's that's okay. It was fantastic for me. It's a lifer. Uh, it's the first time I've seen a, a wild great grey owl. And I hope that in the future, I'll get an opportunity to photograph one in better conditions with better background. Nevertheless, it was fantastic to see it and uh, and well worth the drive. Uh, I'm glad I made the decision to take the chance and actually actually go and, and see if I could find that out. Uh, let's wrap up with just my final thoughts on the EOS R3. Now, I've had a chance to use it both in Iceland in winter and in Finland. I guess the first thing to say is we didn't get the sort of really extreme cold that I was hoping for here in Finland. I think the coldest day we had was about minus 20. Uh, really, I wanted to test the camera in conditions below minus 30. So that's now going to have to wait until Ellesmere Island next month. And that's rapidly approaching uh, and will be here very, very soon. Nevertheless, the camera did perform flawlessly in the time that I have been shooting with it. I've had absolutely no problems with it at all. The battery performance is extremely good. I'm finding it's not quite as good as a 1DX Mark III, but it's close. Uh, as I talked about in my last podcast, I was able to get, I think, over five or 6,000 images out of a single battery charge in quite cold weather. So that's extremely good performance. One of the things that I have um, I have discovered is that the eye focus or the ability of the cameras to lock onto the animal's eye can be somewhat problematic if there is messy backgrounds like there was when I was photographing the owl. And often the if the owl is not looking at the camera, the camera wasn't sure exactly what to do and would tend to focus on some of the branches around the owl rather than on the owl itself. There is a workaround for this. What I've done is I've set up one of my custom buttons as a spot focus button uh, and I can just now push that when uh, the focus is not sure where to go, lock it onto the subject and that worked extremely well for me. So uh, I think now that I've become quite familiar with the camera, I'm much more comfortable with it in the field. I've got the menus now set uh, exactly how I want them. I talked about in the last podcast how one of the problems with all mirrorless cameras is if you get a lot of blowing snow blowing into the viewfinder, it tricks the sensors that are in there into thinking your eye is still up to the viewfinder and therefore the rear LCD screen doesn't activate. The only workaround for that that I've been able to come come up with uh, other than trying to keep snow out of the viewfinder, which can be impossible in blizzard conditions, is to actually set up in the custom menu a quick button to access the rear LCD screen only. And that has been working quite well for me. So whenever I've had snow stuck in the viewfinder, I've been able to just quickly push one or two buttons to flick over to the rear LCD screen. And that works very, very well. 
that's really my only niggle that remains with the with the R3. I think it's an outstanding camera. I think 30 frames a second is really incredible. It's a fantastic way to shoot thousands and thousands of images very, very quickly. And there's no doubt that, you know, even cameras like the R5 that are shooting 20 frames a second, um, I'm seeing participants who are having very, very heavy days of shooting well north of 10,000 images because these cameras are going at such high speed. When you're shooting fast, small birds, you need to be shooting these things in high speed. So the hit rate is not so good when you're doing that, but uh, you can capture those incredible frames that really do make a difference. So I think these sort of high frame rates definitely have their use, um, but I'll certainly be dialing back 30 frames a second to something much slower when I'm photographing something like a polar bear because uh, an animal like that just doesn't require 30 frames per second. But nevertheless, it's very nice to know it's there. Um, uh, I think the only other thing I wanted to finish up on on the R3 um, and close that off really is going to be what happens with the R1. Uh, that's going to be a very interesting development announcement when it comes. I think the R1, from my perspective, is going to be very close to an R3. I think probably what we've got in the R3 is the body of an R1, and the difference will most likely be in the megapixels, although we're going to end the number of digit processes, but of course, we're going to have to wait and see. So I think we'll wrap up there. I'm on my way back to Australia now. As I say, I've only got about a week at home to prepare for the Ellesmere Island expedition. Uh, that's There's quite a lot I need to do to get organised for that. And I'll be going straight from Ellesmere Island over to Svalbard as well. So it's going to be a very, very busy time. I'm looking forward to it very much. Uh, so the next update will probably be once I'm back in Australia. I have a 20-hour layover coming up in Doha. But... Um, I think I've covered off everything I wanted to cover off for today. So we'll wrap it up there. I'm Josh. It has been the 28th of February, 2022. This is podcast number 39, and I look forward to seeing you out in the field.